0: Technology and food have to be in the top five passions for any nerd. I'm Chris Riley, tech advocate for Splunk, sweet code contributor, and bad coder turned dev enthusiast. I sit down to eat with techies to talk about modern technologies, careers in tech, and advancement in development practices. My employer does not own or sponsor this podcast. My thoughts are my own, and no guests were drugged or coerced during the recording. This is Developers Eating the World. Okay, welcome back to Developers in the World. We're actually at RSA C, RSA, RSA Conference. They call it RSA C, uh, in at Moscone in. Uh, downtown San Francisco, and I just got off a panel with Jasmine. Yes, Can you introduce fantastic yourself? Panel.
1: Yes, so my name is Jasmine James. Um, so I'm the manager of the DevOps Center of Excellence at Delta, where we do a lot of things, um, which include the ownership of development tools, development practice, cultural um, immersive programs like the Dojo, and our cloud app dev experience.
0: Would you? Would that be similar to like a shared services organization?
1: Yeah. So we, per, our reach is across everyone. All the portfolio, um, the value that's delivered um, touches our team and is subject to um, the practice and governance that we put in place. Yeah.
0: Okay. And. Are you a part of the tool vetting process?
1: Absolutely. Um, when it pertains to anything development tools-wise, we're part of that. Um, when there are new um, IDEs brought in, when there are things that um, anything a developer touches, essentially, we have some sort of um, That's we cool. weigh in, right?
0: Yeah. So you kind of have this element of like strategy, but also I know from your talk, um, stewardship as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and what does that mean for? like an organization of your size?
1: It's a lot of responsibility. Um, I think that, you know, when you have such a far or a broad reach across so many people and you have really the power to really change the way people work essentially, um, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of um, just uh, weight of that um, a little bit, so you have to be just really mindful of the decisions you make and make sure that you're encompassing the views of the entire community, right? And I think that's one thing that we're working on now um, to do is make sure that everyone has a chance to weigh in. Every developer's voice gets heard.
0: So that's my immediate thought: is how do you ever get anything done then?
1: <laughs> right. Um, so everyone gets heard, right? But we don't necessarily take all the ideas and go and implement them. So, um, but you want to make sure that people have the chance to be heard and make their case. Um, and there are a lot of great ideas that have come out of those situations. So we do something every week called Bits and Bytes, where we talk about different topics, um, different things. And you'd be surprised how much. Yeah, you wouldn't be surprised um, how much developers are sometimes even ahead of my team, right? Because they're the ones right. on the ground, they're exploring these new things. My team is responsible for delivering and enabling um, reliably, but they're on the bleeding edge. So they bring stuff back to us and we can kind of consider and say, will this improve things for the rest of the organization?
0: Which actually is not, not a
1: bad thing. No, unless it's Unless they
0: get, like you were saying on the panel, unless they get overly married and attached to the tool, even before you've had a chance to look at it, right. It's it's, great because they don't consider the holistic elements of a tool
1: absolutely and i think there's an understanding within the organization that we are the entity and governing body so yeah you know you could kind of use things but when it comes to getting things to production you're going to have to go through some sort of process right and some sort of approvals architecture review boards things like that um, so that we can take a full picture view of how it interacts with the entire ecosystem at
0: Right. So um, again, it, it seems like there has to be like, at the, you're, you're going fast and slow at the same time. Oh, yeah. how, do you, how do you balance those two things?
1: I try my best not to um, be a blocker, right? I don't want to block innovation, um, but we want people to do things safe, right? And move, you know, Carefully and cautiously right? Um, so it's about creating guardrails. I think um, not necessarily like hard guardrails But giving them enough breath that they can be innovative and try new things But also with the understanding that okay, the next step would be to go to that, you know, next level evaluation and get approval Right.
0: Yeah, so, so speaking of guardrails and in being a safe developer or, or developing in, a, in an effective long term way. Uh, the event we came from was DevSecOps Days, which mm-hmm. was kind of a sidecar, I like how I say that, <laughs> sidecar event, um, sidecar event to RSA. Um, and what are your thoughts about just that term, DevSecOps?
1: I think that um, I'm waiting to hear what comes next, right? What else is going to be Well, to be? I mean,
0: there's a lot of people who, instead of saying DevSecOps, they say AppSec. Some people just yeah. say SecOps. Yeah. And you can like make an argument for all of them. All
1: of them, right, right. I think I like the DevSecOps term because um, in my experience, not even at my current company, even the company I was before, it feels like security has not been at The forefront of applications you know development really Um, it's more so about getting the value out there quickly quickly like even when you think about quality practice and qa like manual testing all that stuff automation has never been in front so i feel like we're getting to a place finally where all of the things are being being considered and um, whatever word we use to capture all of that i'm fine with as long as we're um, doing all the right things that allow us to deliver great software fast
0: well the the funny thing well not funny actually um is from a developer's perspective, you can release as fast as you want, Yeah. but if there is an exploit, then everything comes to a grinding halt. Absolutely. So, so, and that halt is gonna be way more painful than any sort of kind of inconvenience. But I like what you said. So, you know, there is this weird, like, you can't have both. Right? You can't have fast and you can't have slow. But what you said was you, your team's mindset is not to be a blocker. Right. So, you want to enable and within within the bounds of what you're able to mm-hmm. do, you, you understand that versus I think classic IT wasn't really interested in enabling necessarily in a lot of scenarios.
1: Right, it was more so let's stop everything and then approve one by one, right? Um, and I think that the way technology has progressed so quickly in order to remain competitive you can't stop innovation because guess what your competitor is innovating so if you want to stay um, competitive and not be disrupted and superseded by um, the companies out there that are working to throw you off of your your spot um, you have to make sure that they have the the leeway to do what needs to be done but the guardrails in place also not to end up So you end up on front-page news, right? Yeah.
0: So you've heard probably the phrase that every company is becoming a software company. Yeah. Do you feel like that's true?
1: Absolutely. And so I I, I approach this this from a Delta perspective, and our CIO um, has said that our competitive advantage is going to be software as an airline, right? So the way that we pretty much level up our customer experience is going to be through software that's huge so aviation yeah we are in the business of flying planes but here we have our executive saying these things so um it really is it makes me feel good because a lot of time, um, if your leadership does not have that perspective, they're not willing to make the investment in order to keep innovating and maturing the software offerings, but our leadership right. has taken that stance, so I'm super happy that um, us as a company, we're, 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 we're where we right. are, yeah.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna play off of that a little bit and get away from the work stuff, yeah. um, because it sounds like you, you, you're you in within a culture in an organization mm-hmm. that that you're thriving in, um, and so sometimes I'll say to people, you know, um, if you're not able to execute and you're not feeling that sort of kind of feedback loop, gratification, maybe, maybe you should consider <laughs> a different job path. How did you get into
1: tech? Like,
0: what was your career path?
1: Well, um, it was a very, uh, you know, those doodles, like where you're kind of going around. Yeah. Like, I, I started off um, in high school wanting to be an electrical engineer, actually. Okay. Um, But then, you know, as in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, I got a computer and we started with the MySpace stuff and I started using HTML and CSS and all this other stuff. Geocities. Yeah. You
0: You can. Enough for geo cities.
1: I was exposed to a lot of things. I have a lot of, I have some older cousins and all that who who were also into it. So they kind of um, brought it to me. But um, I had the the benefit of being in a high school where we were given laptops and we were given these things that you can kind of tinker with. Um, So that kind of sparked my interest Um, and. Really, I wasn't sure until um, I started college because I was like, you know, I, was, I knew I was going to college, but I didn't really know where I wanted to settle. And I um, actually started in computer engineering. There was a two-year, two-year program between school I was at, which is West Georgia, and Georgia Tech, but um, I ended up staying at the smaller school because it was so close-knit and changing to computer science. Um, because I'm a creative person by nature. A lot of people don't know that. I play um, three instruments um, and I actually thought I wanted to be a music producer when I was in high school but that didn't wouldn't pay the bills so um being creative, having the ability to be creative through software and actually building something, really, really spoke to me. So I stuck with that. Um, it took me four and a half years because I didn't know initially, um, but the rest is is history. You know, I, I love it, um, and it you know it's not the easiest field to get into, but it's really the most fulfilling that I've been in. Yeah. Um, so it's really great.
0: So talk more about like went from college to to where? What was where that? I am
1: now, yeah. So. I, you know, standard working class family, I worked my way through college, entire four and a half years I worked through college. Um, and you know, balancing work in school was never easy, especially with a tough program like CS, but you know, you work through it. Um, and I worked at AT&T, which was okay. um, a great company to work through in college. And starting my sophomore year, graduated, they gave me a job in their IT program right out of school. Wow. Um, which was really, really awesome, and I got exposed to um, test automation. And that was my first kind of on-the-job training. Um, So writing mobile application tests tests with Selenium, um, using Cucumber, Gherkin, behavior-driven development, and really driving um, that effort within a smaller kind of, it was a home automation, but it was a part of the larger AT&T, but pretty, um, pretty just a concentrated version of IT. So that, that's where I got exposed and um, I got a little taste of leadership, being a part of that team and building up other people um, among the automation, um, on the automation side. And I thought, okay, this is cool. I like telling people what to do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like um, I like the people development aspect of it and um, seeing what opportunities and what could be cultivated and what you can bring out of people really excited me. So went to get my MBA, um, end of 2018, um, and I've been in leadership now for about eight months, so at Delta.
0: Interesting. Do you you feel like the MBA was kind of a a requirement or? No,
1: I think that, having my bachelor's in such a technical field, I wanted to make sure that I had enough business acumen in order like, to balance that. Right. Um, because in my current role, I work with a lot of different people. There's finance, right. there's budgets, there's many different components that I would have n- not any idea. So it was the right choice to make um, when making that transition from yeah. being an engineer to being um, a leader and having to interact with different levels of leadership.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's no way you could do your job without being the T-shaped individual, you know, all that stuff that everybody talks about. But um, you're you're cross-functional and you're doing a lot of soft selling
1: of
0: a lot of things that are very kind of wishy-washy, like cultural and people things.
1: Absolutely. But I think that my engineering background helps me a lot. Mm Um, especially creating rapport with our development community, which is my yeah. job and getting the information and gathering data and you know sharing with my team and then creating solutions right. for them. It gives me a lot of context and I understand their struggle right because I was one before. So it really really helps. So. I would my journey yeah. has been very like it builds right yeah. so
0: Larry from Comcast was talking about that as well that you can't expect to like, steer the, the ship of a development organization unless you've felt the pain. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be pain, like understand and empathize with them. Um, all these kind of fluffy things I think are, are frustrating because they're hard to quantify, but we all know that they're real and they're- Yeah, and they have to be they have to, yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to work with them. What in, in very large organizations do you think Drives. I mean, you already kind of said this it was around competition and you know, you could get leapfrogged tomorrow by mm-hmm. a startup in San Francisco. Absolutely. Um, but besides that, is there anything else that really kind of drives the transformation,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think it's just like not to, you know, kind of go back and say what I said before again, but the ability to adapt is absolutely necessary. Um, with I, I don't even think that's specific to aviation. It's within any field because um, the tides change so quickly, whether it's through regulations, like we're subject to FAA regulations. There's so many regulatory bodies that in have these um pretty much just that they rain down on. So you have to be able to react, not to like to even stay in business, not even to be competitive, to stay in business, right? So um, I think there's different components, but being able to quickly pivot and um, still maintain the level of quality with um, software you're delivering and experience you're delivering is of the utmost importance. And I think that's one of the things that we're focused on right now.
0: Yeah, there was another thing that you talked about that I thought was really cool because this is a job that I would want, mm-hmm. which is, uh, a group of people in the organization that take the old applications, legacy, heritage, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and kind of evaluate them. Um, I can imagine kind of like scoring them on their ability to to be modernized. Um, You said that they actually do the modernizations, but it's cool to kind of go through um and what does that look like like they look at a cross-section of all the monolithic applications and then it's everything side kind of
1: yeah it's everything because um you know when you're on the kind of at the the start of a transformation it's kind of like you have to look at everything and figure out where you are right to even start the transformation so um that process happened and um the great thing about that that going through that is that you have an idea of not only where you are but what it takes to potentially get to the transformation um, and get to the end of your journey from a like what are the the steps you have to take because we categorize them into certain of course like buckets right so these won't be modernized because there's no point they're being rewritten or these need to be but they can wait because they're not critical to our operation so you get the priority going um, and you also have a path Um, but once you have that Then you get into the intricacies of the application and then the unknowns of the application, right? Because there are things that you may think you know about application, but if it hasn't been touched for 10 to 15 years or the developer who wants to develop is no longer with the company, there may be technical debt that no one has any idea about. So you have to really get deep into it. So um, it's a long process, a long process that um, everyone has to do really in order to say that, okay, we we know what we have and we know what it takes to really um, be able to um, create or get monoliths out of our, our, I call it our archive, you know? So, yeah, it's it's, it's a long process.
0: Yeah, so part of one of the things that you do is the dojos. Yes. How would you define a dojo?
1: Um, Very simply, a place of learning. Um, And I would even go on to say a place of learning and practice. Um, and I distinguish between the two, you know, when you learn something, you know, you know, you kind of know about it. Um, but practice is being able to actually execute upon the knowledge that you've gained. And that's what we um, aim for in our dojo, not only just teaching, but seeing individuals do it right and actually producing value you, why they do it.
0: Yeah. So ha- is that happened during the dojo or? Oh, it does. It does. So there's an like, Not like a hackathon element to it or like a pure
1: Yeah, well, in the in the beginning, right, it's very important to establish objectives and things you want to accomplish, right? And we've actually honed in from an eight week program to two weeks. So you have very specific objectives. So I want to get my applications into dev, I wanna have eighty percent test coverage. So these
0: are multiple week exercise
1: absolutely and it's but we're going we're within their sprint we're having stories for these items so this is what we want teams to practice after they leave Uh And we're, then we're circling back and checking up on them and seeing, okay, are you still maintaining those practices and doing them continuously? So um, I think the model that we're doing now is much more effective. Um, it's hard to ask a team to step away um, for eight yes, weeks from right. their location, come see, you know, it's hard to do that. So the two-week um, increment is working very well. Um, but, yeah, they're doing it in practice day to day. We're there right by their side, and then we kind of let them fly. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So... Uh, How do you, how many of these do you do on a regular basis?
1: Oh man, Um, I think the last, at last count, I think we had about 40 engagements that had happened since 2018, but they literally happen on like, they'll spin up, spin down, kind of like ephemeral instances, right? It'll spin up, you know, and then spin down um, for the given purpose. Um, And I'd really have to look, we have like a whole Kanban board of what's in flight, but Yeah, I'm like
0: managing this has to be crazy.
1: It is. And I have a great leader on my team, Frank Lamar, who, um, handles the day-to-day and does a really great job of not only um, kind of like queuing up, cause you wanna make sure you have business, right? Um, but also making sure that teams get value out of it and making sure that the coaches are there and whatnot. Um, so it is a very orchestrated event, but our feedback has been amazing, right? Teams find this much more meaningful than taking, you know, an LMS course or watching a video or anything like that, because right. it's actual value that's being delivered. And
0: and it's within the organization. Within the so organization. All the elements of the organization. Exactly. Can be a part of it.
1: And we consider everything, including their specific team culture, everything. So if there's things that we see during our um, delivery, we can say, okay, well, on your next go around, we want to talk about this because you know, it's it's really about creating that continuous development mindset and continuous learning. Because a lot of times, um, you know, when you're talking to a team, they feel like one and done, right? No, we want to instill that you're never really done improving, ever. So, and you need to make sure that you're continuing to mature your practice and there's always something that you can get better at, really.
0: Right. When it comes to tools and, and how the different teams operate, does your organization mandate, suggest, like how do you mm-hmm. how do you get these tools across the organization besides just the dojos?
1: There are some that are mandated, of course, um, and they for different reasons. Because um, if you're within a certain uh, part of the organization for reporting, for leadership um, visibility, we have to, you have to use these things. Um, But like I said, we always have um, leeway, right? For certain things, right? Especially when it comes to um, things developers touch. Um, The more rigorous um, things that we want people to use are through like reporting and things like that. Uh Um, For example, for CI, things like that, that we want used to comment across the board, we say, you need to use Jenkins for now. Um, if there's another solution, um, we'll take a look at it, but we want to do one thing, do it well, and then let's take a look about, at adding right. things in. Um, version control, we absolutely, everybody has to use the same thing. You don't want your source code um, distributed across everywhere. Right. Um, so we do centralize that as well as our artifact repository. Um, but when it comes to what they're including in software, hey, that's up to you. New technologies that you want to enable, like you want to use the new Angular, you want to use, a, it's open um, in that regard.
0: Yeah. Do you touch the production side of things? So like SRE, incident management, incident response.
1: So we do have a separate operations organization okay. um, that does manage that. Um, but I do think that there are conversations that are happening right now that will bring all, that all yeah, of that together. Yeah, because that
0: shift left happens. It does.
1: It does. And when you talk about um, SREs, you know, and uh, continuously optimizing um, right. the operations through, you know many different methodologies um that's devops right so um it it feeds into devops so um it's conversations are happening that might be
0: on your team before you know it
1: well you know i think that like infrastructure like in the cloud conversation, we didn't even touch on that. Um, you know, I think there's opportunities for cross-functional teams from both sides yeah, of the organization, right? right? I don't feel like you know any one person has to own anything. Let's get right. the right people together, let them do awesome stuff, and everybody gets the value. I feel like there's like
0: this general shift between between like pure executors to more strategy and stewardship,
1: mm. where
0: like you have like teams like yours. Who kind of own the philosophy, the stewardship mm-hmm. of DevOps principles, right. and maybe operations is the same way. Right. The knock is no longer people in a twenty-four um, by seven staffed room with screens.
1: Right.
0: Um, they become more stewards of the best practices of. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, oh, so. Also, back to tools, the, how do you, so if you don't mandate the tools, how do you do kind of what you said before where you don't get overly attached because tools can change, technology's moving so quickly. How do you make sure that within the pipeline you are able to slot something, new amazing um, widget comes out and you want that as part of your delivery chain? How do you make sure that
1: yeah. Um, you can accommodate that. Ryan um, said something, I mean a word that really was like modular, modularization, right? Sure. And creating a, call it an interface of sorts where you can kind of plug and play different things without thinking too much about what's mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes. Right, exactly. I love um, So <laughs> we're experimenting right now with um, templating, um, you know, portions of the pipeline. And really that makes it very, um, the user doesn't care about what happens behind the template, right? They only care about the um, parameters that they're, you know, giving, right? And does it work? So that allows my team to visit, like, to switch things out, like, easy, because no one cares as long as what's. What's said to be done is being done behind the scenes and that the user can signif- or resiliently get their result back. So that's what we're focusing on now and not being tied to um, one instantiation within every single um, Jenkins file and just creating just a, you know, like you say, Legos, right, within the pipeline. You can take it out, put it in, and it still works the same, right? Yeah,
0: yeah That's I think that's the dream. Yeah. Um, there's always kind of snowflake stuff, but
1: There is, and I think that those specific situations, um, you have to work a little bit harder, um, but I think it can be done when you think about security scanning and if there's not like, I know for a lot of security tools, there's like not a plugin for it, right? So you may have to get creative about how you're um, implementing it from a pipeline perspective, but I do think still putting, like making it not impactful to the user if you should switch it out, should always be the goal. Um, Just make it easy for them to Mm -hmm. still, they don't have to change anything if you decide to change it, and then you do all your work in the background. So that's kind of where we're headed right now.
0: Cool. All right, it's time for buzzword bingo. So I'm just gonna throw out three, four terms, and you give me your feedback. Okay. Just your impression.
1: Okay. I didn't know this <laughs> was happening. Worry. I'm scared that's, now.
0: That's the thing that scares you of all this, no. by the way. Jasmine, like, talks what you've done recently. GitLab. Yeah, does. This conference. Um, DevOps Enterprise Summit. The
1: KubeCon.
0: KubeCon. Okay, so... It's I think be you fine. Okay, it. all right. <laughs> AI Ops.
1: AI Ops. Hmm. Um. Intelligent. Just, uh... Gosh, AI apps. What I think about when I hear AI apps is just having the ability to resolve operational um, just um, blips like on, like just through automation, I think. Um, yeah. I okay. haven't read in too much in AI, AI apps, so I will definitely have to read oh, that now. Trust
0: me, you, you can read three articles and be more oh, confused okay. than, than you started. Oh, what man. you just said is probably I don't like being confused. Closest. Maybe I'll save that one. Um, I'm not a fan of the term.
1: Oh, man. That's why
0: I always use that (laughs) one. All right. Ooh, I just learned a new one today, just here. Yeah. Um, Continuous verification.
1: Continuous verification from a security perspective? Or what what was the context? Uh,
0: uh, Ish? Not really. Okay. I don't want to throw the vendor under the bus.
1: Okay. Well continuous verification just I mean just taking a stab at it um continuously ensuring that um what's being or what said was going what what you said you were going to do is being done I mean I think of continuous verification as setting a standard and making sure that nothing Uh deviates from that um yeah
0: the verify part kind of implies a validation towards something already known
1: yeah Uh, which
0: actually is is kind of the opposite of That's interesting.
1: That's confusing. Uh,
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna the next term chaos engineering.
1: Chaos engineering. Yeah. So this is a a fun one to me. I feel like um, because I have a six year old, and you know, when you have any like kid, you know, chaos (laughs) is
0: chaos engineering is just part of your
1: household. Exactly. So um, just being able to, I think, adapt to. things outside of the box, right? And I think that the perspective you take for like solving your known problems, as long as that's flexible, right, you can adapt to chaos. Um, And I think that certain industries have different, you know, sort of chaos. Like for us, um, from an operations perspective, there's things that we can't foresee, like weather, things like that. So what happens if this goes wrong? And how do we solve for it? Um, So yeah, we, we engineer for chaos from an operations perspective. And I think that um, doing that for software is absolutely necessary too, especially you know, given the climate we're in with vulnerabilities being you know, mm-hmm. all happening all the time. Yeah. And how do you, for example, software build of materials, right? Knowing how to react to chaos, I think is yeah. you know, very important um, for our industry. Yeah. So.
0: I think the term chaos just throws people back because it's almost implying, gives the wrong implications. yeah I agree and yeah you you have it spot on all right next one um feature flagging
1: yeah feature flagging um necessary for trunk-based development which is one of our development practices that we're trying to um instill uh, within the community right now um you know it's I think that it's one of those things that people are like, oh, you can't do that, you know? We want to have our feature branches. We want to make oh, wow. sure that we're... Really? Well, I think that that's the way we, we use ClearCase, right? So we've done clear case for how many years? And um, feature flagging, I think, is a, just a very new thing mm-hmm. for people. Nice. Um, coding to interfaces nice. and being <laughs> able to turn it on, whether it's through config maps or whatever you decide to use. Uh, maybe you're using a config server and you can do it while it's in... Pre- I don't know. Um, so it's very, kind of, um, what's the word when uh, people can't really fathom it? Right. Yeah, you know, it's working in practice. a paradigm
0: shift. Exactly. Now, do you find that one of the values of Feature Flag is to tie, help tie, what development does back to the business or back to kind of the plan stages?
1: Um, I more so look at it from a way of. Creating change without disrupting the environment. I do think there's value in feature flagging um, from that perspective, tying it back to value, tying it back to the ALM tools and all that jazz. Um, but you know, there's ways to do that um, without feature flagging. Okay. Um, you know, so tracking changes through tooling enables that, right? So um, I do think it's a way to. Introduce change without disrupting your environment. Safe changes. Um, being able to turn something off, turn it on if it doesn't work. Um, kind of like the blue-green stuff, you know, and yeah. all of the other complex deployment methodologies out there. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's very useful. I think it's necessary, um, especially necessary. with agree. the rate of development that a lot of our teams do. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. I know I'm, I'm awesome. keeping you Thank from you. a red eye. Yeah. I think don't I mean envy you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: it should be fun. Yeah. Not... <laughs>
0: Yeah, but you know, you're a pro at flying. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me. It was great. I'll Thank see you, for you at probably me. DevOps Enterprise Summit twenty twenty then, right? Twenty twenty.
1: speaking? I, sh- mm, I haven't yeah. Ah you got so it. well the thing about speaking and the one thing I'm learning is I did so much last year I kinda gotta go do my day job now, you know? Uh, okay. <laughs> so nice. focusing on nice. actual yeah. change so that I do have a story to tell, right? Yeah <laughs> That's true. That's important, right? That's true. You
0: gotta collect more <laughs>
1: I need Epic more fail- data. And
0: so, yeah. And that's the other thing is you did a chapter in the Epic Failures book. Yes, so yes, Get yes. your hands on that if you haven't already.
1: Great. But, As did you. you. And we're like well, a couple chapters you know, apart. Yeah. <laughs> the, really, <laughs> the book really signing. Great. So go read that it and compare. Let us know whose was better. I'm Jasmine just kidding.
0: created <laughs> a whole like software delivery chain for book signing. It was amazing. <laughs> and I couldn't keep up. I would have lost my job.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you.